Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Father God, would you speak to us? Your children are here. Our hearts are ready. Father God, speak. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you be seated? In 1990, I was a youth pastor in Steinbach, Manitoba on a Sunday night with a high school worship band that honestly was not very good. I was standing in the back row and God stirred something inside of me. And I did something that I had never ever done before because in the tradition I grew up in, it was against the rules. I did this. Some of you are underwhelmed. But something happened in me in that moment. And I experienced God in a different way because sometimes it's the smallest little things that change the direction of our heart. It became a very, very unusual worship service for me that evening. And I'd like to invite you to take a front row seat of another unusual worship service. Jesus has been teaching to thousands of people on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. He escapes through the crowd, takes his disciples to the other side. On his way over, this huge storm kicks up. Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. He stands up in the front of the boat because his disciples are freaking out, puts his hand up and says, hey, storm, zip it. And the storm grows still. He gets all the way to the other side. And this is what happens. Today, I'm actually going to share it to you from the New King James Version. Usually, I preach from the NIV. This language is going to sound a little different to you, but God threw this in front of me a couple of weeks ago. I have never seen one of these sentences before, and I have read this story more times than I can count. The Bible says, then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. Some of your uh, translations will say Gerasenes. Don't worry, it's the same place. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I think it's amazing. We don't even have a name yet, but we know someone's got issues, and we all have issues. 
A man who made his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. I've been to those tombs. I've been to that countryside. If you ever come to Israel with me, I'll take you there. The cemetery is still there. The tombs are still there. It's spooky. It just is. On the edge of this graveyard, there's a steep drop-off. It goes all the way down to the lake. So I want you to get the picture. Jesus has been teaching thousands, and now he's coming to teach one. This one is struggling. He's been in bondage physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally for years. People have tried to tame him, to settle him down, but he's not been tamed. He lived in a graveyard. How many of us this morning are living in a graveyard of old memories and failures and old decisions that we wish we could change? How many of us are being tormented by old voices and old pictures that just don't seem to go away? I think we're more like him than we'd like to admit. That last line is a tragedy. Night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. That word stone is the same Old Testament word that they use for the law, the commandments. Cutting himself with religious rules that constantly say, you can't make it, you're not good enough, you're always going to come up short. Has anybody else in the room this week at some point just felt like you just keep coming up a little bit Short. Has anyone else just seen this imaginary line of arrival that people are supposed to get across? And even in your best moment, you just can't quite seem to get there. This guy's not even close, but watch what happens. Verse number six. This is the sentence that I had never seen before. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. That's strange to me. And that's the whole point. A man out of his right mind sees Jesus and something compels him to worship. He doesn't run away. He runs too. Verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what's your name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. Just so you know, Jesus is not talking to the guy. He's talking to them. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Get this picture in your mind. This man has 2,000 demons in his soul. And this I know for sure. Demons don't worship God. They despise God. This man is consumed by a spiritual force. It's overwhelming him, but there's something deep inside of him. There's a little tiny faded thumbprint of the image of God on the far tattered corner of his soul. There's this little teeny piece of his humanity that's hanging by a thread. And when that tiny little piece of humanity sees Jesus, he doesn't run away. He runs too because that's his only hope. And he falls to the ground. He prostrates himself. He proskineos himself in front. I picture him holding out the remnants of the chains that said people tried to bind him. He ripped them off of himself and, and he doesn't talk. He doesn't have a conversation. The demons do. 
What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? The demons despise God, but make no mistake. They know exactly who they're talking to. They know him and they're about to know him in a completely new way because of the worship of a broken man God is about to show up in a spectacular way verse 11 now a large herd of swine were feeding there near the mountains so all the demons begged him saying send us to the swine that we may enter them and at once Jesus gave them permission I love that he's in control yeah, I'll give you permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. Isn't that a coincidence? 2,000 demons, 2,000 pigs just happened to be there. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, past tense, praise God, and had the legion, and he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. That's an interesting worship service, isn't it? Have you ever wondered why we sing together in church? We do it a lot. I mean, you spent almost 30 minutes singing, praying, talking, worshiping God. Have you ever wondered what it is that we're trying to accomplish? I mean, what if the reason that we sing wasn't just so we had a really good time doing Christian karaoke? What if it was so that we kicked down the door of freedom because that's what God wanted for all of us today? I love the fact that this man used worship as a weapon and Jesus set him free. That is a powerful truth that we all need to learn. Worship is a weapon. When you're hurting, broken, lost, and, and wounded, worship is a weapon. When you're just fine, everything is going perfect in your life, worship is still a weapon. This series has been perking in my soul for years. I've had two weeks off. I've had a lot of coffee today. I hope you are ready. I love worship. I do. I love worship because I'm not the center of it. It's the one time when God takes his rightful place right there in the center of everything. I love personal worship. I love corporate worship. I love watching people worship. I love worship because I can connect with God in that way. It's one of the pathways that he uses to touch me. When I worship God, he shows up. This is not Christian karaoke, or at least it shouldn't be. This is God's people encountering God through the power of joining our voices together to sing his praise. For years, I've had my own working definition of worship. This is how I would define it. It's stretching with everything I've got to touch the feet of God and finding out he allows me to touch his face instead. I mean, I'm trying to get there on the foot level because I've got nothing to bring and he lifts me into a face-to-face -face encounter with him. There's something intimate and powerful about the worship of God. And throughout this series, we're going to talk about the power of worship, the postures of worship, the joy of worship, the challenges of worship. I'm going to explain to you some of the nuts and bolts of worship, when we get it right, when we get it wrong, and all for the fact that we don't want to get caught up in style and personal preferences. Instead, I'm going to challenge you for the next number of weeks to shift your perspective. What if we walked out of church today not thinking, how did the band do? I mean, was the band on this morning or not? Like, did Andy deliver, you know? 
Was the ponytail, was the, I mean, how did it go? How'd it go? You know, what, what, what if we walked out of here, you know, and, and we didn't think about, I mean, were the people around me singing? I mean, I wonder, did, did, she, did anybody else sing this morning? Was Grant on this morning? Did he deliver what I needed? Did he talk about a topic that I cared about? I mean, I mean, what if we didn't walk out of here with our thumb meter going? Like, how was church today? Was it like, ah, it was God. I got to about a six and a half, and then, woo, he dropped down to about a three and a half. You know, that prayer by John, woo, perfect ten. But then yeah, Grant and Andy, mmm. What if we didn't walk out thinking about how worship was done? What if we walked out asking, I wonder how I did today? What did I bring to the table? Did I leave it all on the field when I had an opportunity to walk into the throne room of God? Do I, am I a little bit more tired than I walked in because I actually connected with God in a deep level? I mean, did I actually worship him? Was God pleased with my worship? Did I enter into his presence? Did I take Jesus up on his invitation to get face to face with God Almighty himself? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian asked you a question. I mean, what if the worship team worshiped the way you worshiped? I wonder how that would go. Well, what if they took their cues from you? Would that be inspiring? I mean, just stay with me, okay? We're going to be in a couple of different places today. The Bible uses many different words to describe worship. The two most prominent words, the Hebrew word for worship is shakah. It literally means to, to kiss towards Worship is reflecting love back to God. I want you to know this all originated with God. We love because he first loved us. And so he proved it by dying on a cross and removing the curse of sin from our life. Jesus loved and when we worship, we reflect that love back to him. It's the same reason why we give back to God. It's not because God needs our money. It's because we're recognizing it all came from him and we're giving back. We give back because God gave we worship God because God loved us first. The second word is the Greek word for worship, which is proskuneo. It means to, to prostrate yourself. That just means to lie flat on the ground in submission and in reverence. It's what the demon-possessed man did. This little piece of humanity inside of him took him to Jesus. He took a low posture of humility and desperation before God. He used worship as a weapon to get close to Jesus, who was his only hope. So with all that said, I want to introduce you to the fact that whether I like it or not, God has inextricably connected the posture of my heart and the posture of my body when it comes to worshiping him. All throughout scripture, the Bible teaches that there's a connection between what happens in your physical body and what happens in your heart when you're worshiping God. Now, I know some of you will immediately hear this and go, not, not a chance, Grant. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're going to try and get me to do something, and it's going to be weird, and I'm not doing it because I don't sing and I don't move. Could I make an appeal to you? We've been doing this together for 20 years. Next month will be my 20th anniversary at Christ the King. I hope after 20 years of being together in the same room that you would at least have enough trust that I'm never going to ask you to do anything that I would not be willing to do myself. And I would never ask you to do anything just for the sake of doing it. What if changing 
your body posture could connect you deeper with God, would it be worth the risk? Would it be worth a shot? There's seven different Hebrew words for praise. Each one of them is nuanced in the word praise, but they all have a different meaning. And each week as we talk about worship, I'm going to share one of the words. The first one, the first posture of worship is the Hebrew word yada. It's just cool to say it, yada. And it means, as a definition of praise, to extend the hands or to throw out the hands. It's an active posture of excitement and enthusiasm for God in praise and worship. So it's a simple act. It, it's this. Whew. I know for some of you that's just like, mm. before you think it's a worship thing, you do it all the time. You just don't think about it. I grew up in Canada. Saturday night was hockey night in Canada. Every night, Saturday night, we would turn on the television and we would either go to the Forum in Montreal or the Gondola in Toronto to watch the Maple Leafs or the Canadians and Danny Gallivan would be describing what was going on and he would say, you know, Guy Lafleur shoots to Yvonne Cornoyer, he shoots, he scores! And everybody, woo! <laughs> Nobody taught me how to do that. I just, just you just did it. American context, okay? So you're not going to leave you out, all right? Russell Wilson in the pocket. He's got Doug Baldwin downfield. He airs it out. He's got touchdown Seahawks. And what do you do? Woo! You don't even think about it. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. I'm on vacation last week in Florida. We spent a day at Bush Gardens, which is an amusement park that is packed full of roller coasters. I'm not crazy about roller coasters, but if my family's going on the coaster, I'm going on the coaster. That's how it's going. And it's amazing. They, they don't do, have you seen what they do in modern roller coasters now? It's not like just sit in a little cart and go down like this. They hang you from the bottom of the track now. <laughs> they flip you and spin you and turn, it's horrible, right? And People are getting on this thing and locking themselves in with this little tiny insignificant seatbelt, which is no consolation or confidence whatsoever. And, and they get in and the first thing they do is like, like, don't put your hands in the air. Hold on, right? That's why they put handles right there. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. Like, you know why they do it? They do it to increase the exhilaration. They do it to celebrate the drop. It's not just in celebration either. Some of you have been arrested, okay? Um, <laughs> Christ the King, get used to it, okay? That's, yeah, right. And what are the commands, right? Hands up. Let me see your hands. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of submission think about school. What did you do as a third grader when you were convinced you had the right answer? It's an act of agreement. When we yada before God, we're joining all of creation in an act of worship. Go for a walk this afternoon at Padden. You think the tree is just standing there? It's not. The Bible says that all of creation 
will give glory to God all of the time. The trees lift their hands in praise. The ground, as the tectonic plates shift and push earth and rock into the sky. Mountains give praise to his name. The water of the ocean yadas in majestic waves. If you're in a little tiny boat, you get an understanding of how magnificent and huge the power of God is. The stars yada as they reach out in waves of light and sound. All of creation lifts their hands in praise to God. And God says... You can too. This is my favorite picture. When I would come home after a long day when my kids were small, I'd walk in the front door and the same thing would happen every single time. <laughs> Papa, take me, Uppy. And as a dad, there's nothing more beautiful and seeing your child run to you with their hands raised and being able to wrap your arms around them in love and in protection. In, it's a dependence that happens. Listen to the word of God. All of your works praise you. Yada, you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. Psalm 67, verse 3, may the peoples, that, that would be everybody, may the peoples praise you. Yada, God. May all of the peoples praise you. Psalm 44, verse 8. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will yada your name forever. We worship with lifted hands because God is worth celebrating. More than a touchdown or a goal, it's God. Somebody say amen. I mean, I think he's worth celebrating, right? We worship with lifted hands because God is exhilarating. We worship with lifted hands because when we actually surrender as followers of Christ, we win every single time. We worship with lifted hands because we believe Jesus is the only answer. Can I tell you something? Do you know of anyone else who can bring hope to Dayton and El Paso this morning? Other than the Prince of Peace? God, we need him. We worship with lifted hands because we need God to lift us, to protect us, to love us. When we reach to him, he reaches back. Let me summarize this and wrap it up. In worship, hands are raised in celebration. I'm going to say it again. Somebody better say amen when I'm finished. God is worth celebrating. Yeah. It's worth celebrating. And honestly, sometimes I need help to get there. I'm just like you. So I have good weeks and bad weeks. Just came back from vacation. Good week. But there are weeks when I don't feel like preaching. I don't feel like bringing hope. And so I spy on you <laughs> from right back over there in the corner. I watched this morning, don't want to freak anybody out, but I watched John in the front row because I see John, he points to heaven with his fingers, God, Mama Jerry, I'm sorry, but I was spying on you today. When Mama Jerry gets her worship on, I tell you, it inspires my heart. There are days when I need your voice. There are days when I need your hands. Just like hopefully you need a word from God today, there are days when I need the corporate worship of God's people to get me up and above the broken condition of this. You're my hope some weeks. 
Secondly, we raise hands. Hands are raised in dependence. I mean, that's what brought the man in the cemetery to Jesus, right? God, I've tried everything else. I've got the broken chains to prove it. I tore these off of myself, and now I raised my hands flat on the ground in front of me. I raised my hands to you because you're my only hope. Hands are raised in Scripture in surrender. I worship you, God. It's my salvation. I submit to you as the King, Lord, and Savior of my life. For those of you who grew up like I did, I am never, ever going to talk down about another style of worship ever because I think they all have a beauty to them. I grew up in a church that was very reverent, very reverent. And it was beautiful. I learned awe and respect in that tradition. The highest our hands ever got were holding the hymn book. And it was okay. But for those of you that, that grew up with that tradition, I just, I will ask you, how does it mean to you knowing that hands are raised in surrender to think about, I surrender all. I surrender all. Come on. All to Thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. Oh, I'm not alone. Hands are raised in preparation. No, God doesn't put anything in the Bible just for the sake of putting it there. There's a little geographical Marker at the beginning of the story, it talks about the region of the Gesserines or the Gedarenes, depending on the translation. I think it's interesting. That word translates the reward that is yet to come. When we yada, we're practicing for heaven. One day, every knee will bow. One day, everyone will have an opportunity to worship the lamb who was slain. The Bible says the 24 elders and the people come together around the throne and they sing, worthy is the lamb, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we gather corporately to worship, we're practicing for heaven. And finally, hands are raised in worship. Some of you are thinking, you know, Grant, I just have a difficult time connecting with someone, the example today, because they have 2,000 demons, and your, and your reasoning is, I don't have 2,000 demons, so I'm good, I'm fine, I'm wonderful. Can I remind you of something? The only reason you're good, fine, and wonderful is because God is faithful, and you have even more reason to stand on your feet, put your hands in the air, and say, this is not about me. I didn't do anything. I can't make myself breathe. I can't force a creative thought through my own brain. It's all because of God. And so I worship him because he is worthy. The first time I took a worship posture, I was freaked out. I was self-conscious. I was in the wrong heart space. But I just kept thinking, if, if I reached out to God, I wonder if he'd reach back. And I needed him to reach back. So here's my challenge. Would you be willing to risk obedience? The Bible commands God's people to yada. It's in there. 
The Bible says, raise your hands. Lift your hands. Now, I hope you know, I don't ever want this to be a contest. In fact, if you do something because I told you to and not because God told you to, for the love of God, please don't. Okay? It's not a contest. It doesn't make you more than or less than. In fact, it's just simply an opportunity. You see, I know what happens when it comes to worship. We have a lot of personal preferences, and we also do a lot of judging. So as a person who grew up in a very reverent, reserved church, I had an easy judgment when it came to people who would do this. I'm like, look at you drawing attention to yourself. Wow. But I've seen the other end of the spectrum too, which is people that are just like, you haven't got your hands in the air. Apparently you don't know the Holy Spirit. You should probably welcome that part of the Trinity into your life. Do you know what's wrong with both judgments? Your eyes are on the people down the row and not on the God that you're worshiping. You know what makes those judgments go away? When we focus on Jesus and not on what's going on. It doesn't matter what's happening up and down your row. You're singing to Almighty God and He's listening to you. He's listening. So in a moment... We're going to give you an opportunity. That's all it is. It's an opportunity. You don't have to do anything. It's an opportunity to yada. My question is, would you be willing to take a risk? For me, this was a really big deal. And it stayed there for a long time. It was between God and I. It was intimate. It was humbling. It was freeing. It was joyful. And I want to talk to those of you who may not feel comfortable in the opportunity. And my challenge would be, okay, it doesn't have to happen here. In fact, for some of you, it might be more appropriate or it might actually fit better into your world to go for a walk at Padden this week and to step off the beaten path and to get yourself off where maybe nobody can see you and you join the majesty of the trees in that beautiful cathedral and for just a moment or two, you just, yada. The only thing I don't want you to do is yada and drive, okay? Because that is... Scary, unless you can go one hand, eyes open, okay? And that's cool too. But today, as we finish up this time together, I want to reinforce one more time. It's just an opportunity to connect, to obey, to run to your heavenly father. Papa, take me. He will lift you up. So we're going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and join. Every once in a while, I call them a band. I shouldn't. They are a worship team. They worship first. I'm going to invite them to come back, and they're going to join me, and we're going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to have an opportunity to practice. That's it. I hope you hear my heart through this whole series. I'm trying to make anybody do anything. It's just out of a pure desire, honestly, 
offer opportunities for us to, to open our hearts and walk through an open door. That's it. So church, would you stand with me? Would you, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, in this moment, Lord, give us the courage and the strength to have all eyes on you. May we not think about our style, our preference, or even the people down our row. God, I pray that our heart would be to worship you in a way that you've shown us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and invade this place and invade our hearts? Oh God, we need you. May our body and our heart be pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.